Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name's Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at MBUK Magazine and Bike Radar as well. Joining me on the podcast today is our full mountain bike tech team. Starting off, we've got Rob Weaver. He's our Senior Technical Editor-in-Chief. How are you getting on, Rob? I'm good, thanks, Tom. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. And uh, up in Scotland, we've got another Senior Technical Editor. It's Al Evans. Hey, Tom. How's it going? I'm all right. Thanks for asking, Al. At home, we have got Luke Marshall. He's our tech writer. How's it going, Luke? I'm very good, thank you, Tom. Brilliant. And in the podcast studio, it's Will Soph, who works on our YouTube channel. How's it going, Will? Very well, thank you. Yes, yes, good to be here. Excellent. What have you been up to all recently? Uh, yeah, so uh, busy Christmas, lots of family time, eating lots of food and getting out on the bike a little bit uh, in between all the bad weather. So I've mostly been uh, sheltering in Ramp World Skate Park and uh, working on my BMX skills. Oh, very nice, very nice. Uh, how about you, Al? You've been up in Scotland. Has the weather been any better up there? Or uh, Yeah, if uh, better is classed as rain, then indeed indeed it has. It's been a very, very wet, very wet Christmas, which has been great for testing certain products. Um, Scott's One Piece, the, their new mm. Trailstorm um, WP One Piece, I believe it's called, um, which has uh, it's been interesting. Might even uh, go sort of toe to toe with the uh, the industry standards of the Enduro one and the um, Dirt Ledge. Maybe we'll see. Review interesting. soon. Interesting. Interesting. I think I've just put my review of the layout one. I think it's just gone bike radar. There you go. So tune into that, guys. Tune in for that one, Luke. What have you been up to? Well, not testing one pieces. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I've actually been uh, been very lazy lately. So I had the Christmas break off, and before that, I had a couple of weeks annual leave to use. So I took those off as well. And uh, and December has been very peaceful uh, away from the chaos that is Bike Radar and MBUK. So just chilling and getting back into it now. Excellent stuff, Rob. What have you been riding? What have you been doing? Uh, haven't been riding. Lately. Well, a few trips out on the gravel bike, a bit of running, and then. Um, yeah, just watching uh, COVID slowly sweep through the house. So, nice. um, yeah, yeah, a nice little New Year treat. Yeah. Happy days, happy days. Yes. And 
What about, what you, about Tom? you, Tom? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, Jinx. Well, can we do that? I seem to. Have, <laughs> I seem to have been following the trend of not really riding bikes very much over Christmas, which has been. Uh, it's it's important to take a little break every now and again, isn't it? Um, but um, like you guys, getting back into it, getting back into the swing. So going for a ride this afternoon with Luke. Uh, and another ride tomorrow with Luke and also Julie from MBK, which will be nice and fun. Um, so yeah, eating, bit of climbing, not much pedalling, but looking forward to getting back into the swing of it. So you did the, the Rafa 15 rather than the Rafa 500 over Christmas. <laughs> I think the, the the one ride that I did between Christmas and New Year was uh, was with Luke, and I think we did a grand total of 12 kilometres. Oh, good. <laughs> the, the weather was so horrible, we, uh, we bailed pretty quick. <laughs> Drove an hour and a half to ride for an hour. <laughs> they, were, they were 12 hard-earned kilometres, though. <laughs> they were. They were. As much pedalling on the way down as it was on the way up, I think. Oh, good. And, uh, Sounds nice. <laughs> bit sloppy. But hey-ho. All right, so um, it's the start of 2023, and as is tradition on the internet, uh, we are going to look forward to what we think might be happening this year in the world of mountain biking. So this is our 2023 trends and predictions for the mountain biking world. Now, we've each got a trend uh, that we think is going to happen, so we're going to talk through each of those, hopefully, uh, with a bit of back and forth between us as we go as well. Um, so I think we'll go in alphabetical order, which means, Al, you're going first. Hang on, just, just working out my alphabet. Yeah, good. Okay, well done, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty tricky. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. Uh, hey. mm. So, all right. Well, it's a bit exciting, actually, I guess. Um, it's a kind of a, a fairly common theme, I suppose you could say, um, with like a insidious creep towards electrification, um, which I guess is maybe makes it sound more sinister than it actually is. It really um, does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to be talking specifically about drivetrains. Um, this is what I think is going to happen. And there's a few little flags here that um, are kind of giving you clues, giving us clues. Like we've got our thinking caps on. We've been scratching our heads trying to work out what's going to be happening. Um, so little history lesson. Rewind back to 2014, which is when uh, Shimano released their first XTR Di2 group set, which was the M9050. Um, so that's quite a long time ago now. I think that's uh, nine years. Is it nine or eight? I, I, I'm not very good at maths, but... It's, it, it's nine. Yes, nine. Good. Good. I'm not very good at the alphabet or maths. Um, so, so I, had it, you know. I had it on a Scott Spath, I think. Yeah. You actually had it at, at launch? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. blimey. So was it any good? Um, yeah, it had some really, really clever features. So back then, um, it you know, two-by drive trains were still relatively big in that sort of sector of the market and cross-country trail riding as well. Um maybe sort of okay maybe dwindling a little bit in the in the trail market but still cross country was a thing so they had something on there called synchro shift so you could program um your gearing to shift up or down on the front with the front neck dependent upon where it was positioned where the rear derailleur was positioned across the rear set. so you could actually ditch the front shifter and just rely mm-hmm. on the synchro shift mis- um, system which was really cool um, the layout of the shifter was more like a traditional mechanical shifter unit, um, which I think even at the time, a few of us kind of called into question because it was like, well, why replicate something you're essentially trying to replace mm. or at least make different? Why not do something radically different? Make it just, you know, push buttons or, or whatever it might be. Um, because all you're doing is is kind of making something similar. It still had a bit of throw when you press the you know press the shifter paddles, um, kind of unlike what we're used to with now um, SRAM's Eagle Access system. Mm. Um, but yeah, it also had extra cables, and you needed a frame that could accept those cables and have a place to fit the battery because the the battery, unlike Access, the battery isn't mounted on the mech on, yeah. on the trailers. It's mounted, it's just like a sit centrally within, I think on the spark, it was within the seat tube. So you need to have the porting for that, a cable porting for that, and a place to put the battery. So it was limited as to how many brands could take that on, and you would only normally get it on fully built bikes. It wasn't something you would necessarily think, oh, yeah, okay, I'll. I'll upgrade my bike and I'll stick that on because it wasn't straightforward. 
Yeah, I think that was probably like the the main criticism of it, wasn't it? it was the, the the cabling and the batteries and all the kind of additional faff that is you know what a, a, an electronic drivetrain could essentially do away with, um, which is what Surrounded in in 2019 when they released their Eagle Access stuff. You know, they kind of said they looked at what what Shimano had done, I, I guess, or you know, developing it on their kind of own, and thought, what what's the best thing? Well, no cables, you know, wireless batteries that are rechargeable or integrated with the shifter and derailleur or, or removable you know as the case is with the derailleur um and it kind of addresses many of the criticisms of of di2 um so last year shimano actually released an all new two all new di2 group sets um there was an 11 speed and a 12 speed xt um m8150 i think they were the new ones that that were kind of compatible with the ep6 and ep801 motors which are their new e-bike motors and these um these new drivetrains were kind of the first time that shimano's released any new di2 kit um it, that was in eight years so uh got my maths right there did this year minus one um <laughs> really learning um and you know it was, it was quite a surprise actually to see these things come out but you know that they they still need wires for their for their um, power. So instead of drawing it from a separate Di2 battery, they take it from the main e-bike battery, and they're plugged into the e-bike motor via wires in order to shift automatically or pre-shift. And you know this was all programmable in the app. But now I've been hearing a lot of rumours about bike manufacturers completely doing away with cable ports on their bikes. Um, still leaving one for a dropper post because I don't think all dropper posts are going to be going wireless and electronic yet. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like that this is maybe a bit of a, a sea change or, you know, a, a tide shift or whatever you want to call it, that bike manufacturers are expecting drivetrain manufacturers to move almost exclusively to wireless on the more mid to high end bikes. Um, you know, and this is reflected in in the removal of cable ports. Um, so what do I think is going to happen? Well, more drivetrains are going to be electrified. And, you know, if Shimano aren't currently developing a new DI2 group set or group sets, which, you know, I genuinely think and hope they are, um, given the way that kind of the market's moved on since their original one, they're going to have to, you know, because if they want to be specking, if bike brands, sorry, if Shimano want to have their kit specced on mid to high end bikes and it's not wireless, they're not going to be able to. Um, I think it might be semi-wireless like their road stuff is now. Yeah, that could be an option. It definitely could be an option. I think it still raises the issue of where do you put that battery? Um, and, you know, and there's still got to be some form of porting or routing or something. Um, and, you know, in their quest for clean lines and, you know, all the rest of it, removing cable ports altogether um, for these electronic bikes, for like, these electronic drivetrains, you know, it, it seems like a bit of a chicken and egg scenario where... Um, <laughs> the chicken is laying itself. I don't know. It's kind of a bit weird, but um... <laughs> well, maybe. To see it. Well, maybe they're all desperate to have external cable routing, and so maybe that's really what's happening. That'd be the yeah. Can we imagine? That'd be great. <laughs> I'd be all over that. <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> zip ties. Just a few zip ties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cable ties everywhere. I'll wrap that <laughs> in, in, in the, the tube. Down the down tube. <laughs> <laughs> wrap that. Wrap an energy around that. Bit of Velcro. <laughs> Especially with the um, if the electrical cable is too long, time, you could just wrap it around the down tube. Oh, you'd have to yeah, go along yeah, yeah. it. Do you know what they should do? The put slack. some little, um, little cute little lights along the uh, the electrical shifter cables as well. And then you could have like little fairy lights, like Christmassy. Yeah, little fairy lights. Yeah, cr- a, nice, a, a festive, festive themed bike, but all year round. There we go. Yes. <laughs> all right, um, Luke, you're next in the in the alphabet. Um, so, what's your prediction for 2023? Um, well, this is a bit to do with um, changes to the Endura race scene. So as we've all learned, um, the Endura World Series is is no longer and has been um, taken on by the UCI or integrated into the UCI. So it's now become an Endura World Cup. And in 2024, it will also have its own Endura World Championships. But with that in mind, UCI regulations state then that it has to be a one day event now. So all Endura World Cups are only raced over one day. So gone are the the endure events of the past where they were spread over multiple days, going out over big loops. It's now kind of all contested on one day to fit in with the new UCI rules. So I think that's going to make enduro bikes be even more enduro. 
I think they're going to end up being um, slightly more like tweaked to be just a bit more downhill focused. As I said, you have to kind of lose the, um, what's the better way to, not pedalability, but they don't have those multi-day events anymore. So you can have, it's much more specific on one day, who's the fastest on that day. And uh, I think, yeah, they're going to end up, travel will increase possibly a little bit more, brakes will get bigger. They're already on downhill tyres anyway. Things will get a bit stronger. And I think the bikes will be designed a little bit to who, or to help the riders just ride at maximum speed on that one day. So do you think, think, do you think we'll be seeing uh, do you think we'll be seeing dual crown forks on enduro bikes anytime yeah, soon? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you see dual crown forks on enduro bikes. Um possibly it depends on the venues, you know, like there's a few venues that are a bit more bike parky, possibly, and uh, aren't so tight as technical. So they still go to venues like Finale, which are very famous for still making you pedal two thousand meters a day and doing a fifty K loop. It's not that Enduro's got easy. It's just not spread over multiple days anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, yeah, certain tracks and venues may call for uh, different bike setup as well. And dual like or venues like Finale might be a bit of the outlier these days on the on the pedaling side of things. So interesting to see what changes they will come about because of it. Do you reckon we'll see more of them using um, data acquisition now, like we see in downhill, where they're quite, they you know they they're fairly not reliant on it. But I think a lot of the teams lean on it in order to get optimum set up fairly quickly. Do you reckon if the focus and the shift is potentially to go, you know, more into those that sort of downhill aspect, do you think teams will start to use that more in practice? Mm, you might say. I still think, even though it's just a one-day event, it's not one track. If you know what I mean, it's very hard mm. to optimize. I think the suspension as specifically as downhillers do. If you know what I mean. Um, so I still think you might end up seeing suspension get a, maybe a bit firmer or a bit stiffer as it's uh, just one day. I know they have to consider like fatigue on enduro bikes or the riders do much more than downhillers do. Um, they're racing for, you know, 30 plus minutes rather than for three plus minutes. Um, so I don't know if it's possible to get a perfect setup for each for each stage, but depending on what developments there are with electronics and what you can adjust or not adjust, there may be, there might be settings within that they can pre-program for different stages if one's flat and pedally and one's more downhill and uh, and rough. So, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see how much integration comes in. Do you think or, uh, telemetry anything... integration comes in? They, the, so the code for, for the Enduro World Cups is EDR, right? Is it Enduro Downhill Racing now? Is that what it stands for? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. EDR, yeah, Enduro yeah. Downhill Racing. Yeah. It's, it's it does sound giveaway. like it's just going to be a, a series of downhill races over a day over slightly different tracks rather than uh, what one sort of considered a traditional Enduro, which was a lot of pedaling over over multiple days. It feels like the whole sport has now changed or evolved into something it didn't start off as. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So and uh, uh, the changes to, yeah meet the UCI regulations and probably take that a step further. So, um, and I guess the bikes will develop along the lines to, yeah, they're trying to build the fastest bikes possible for that new discipline as such, or not a new discipline, but the changes to this discipline. I was going to say, I've spoken to a couple of racers um, that have competed in it for, oh, I'm not sure if it's one of them definitely since the inception and, and yeah, one of them for quite a while. And I don't think everyone's necessarily over the moon about the shift away from those those big, you know, double header days of you know sixty k loops, you know, three and a half thousand meters of climbing. I think for some people that's truly what enduro is all about. So I'm not totally sure everyone's completely into it. I guess it means that I don't know. Maybe downhillers have got a better chance if they cross over on occasion. Maybe we'll see a bit more of that in the future. You know, that we, we know that there's a couple of those guys that do, you know, the multidiscipline um, stuff and have a lot of success doing it. So maybe we, we might even see a bit more of that. I also reckon we'll probably see a rise in popularity of those events like Enduro 2 and the multi-day, multi-stage, you know, week-long events where people will be able to go and find a very different feel to that, you know, full-on intense day. 
Do you reckon much of that change is down to how the organisers is obviously looking to not necessarily televise it, but package it up? I mean, obviously you said it's to do with the world champs as well, but do you reckon that's got a bearing on it as well? I imagine it's all linked together, yeah. So the new um, had Discovery and want have taken over the the rights to the Mountain Bike World Cups cross cross country downhill and now enduro um, to air them on whatever way they do. Um, yeah, they're still going to want to somehow sure get enduro out to the people as well. Um, and it'd be easier to do that, I guess, over a one-day event than it is over a two-day event. Um, but yeah, interesting to see how they how they do it with Enduro this year, mm. and uh, and obviously the new changes with cross-country and downhill. Yeah. But um, but I'm sure it's it's all tied in together. But they're also bringing the marathon racing in as well to the whole um, package of uh, of racing over those weekends, aren't they? There's a whole raft of yeah. changes across the racing. Yeah, so the e-bike enduro is in there as well as the World Cup and the marathon as well is there. Um, it'd be interesting to see. Obviously, it's now now it's a World Cup. It does have a bit more, somehow feels a bit more of a prestigious title. I know the Enduro World Series is also a prestigious event, but it's uh, interesting to see, like I said, what other um, what changes will happen to the field of riders who can compete and and the other events that will take on or pick up the riders who want to do that big participation event if you know what I mean like what we were saying the start of Enduro is all about long days on the bike going pedaling out with your friends finding different trails you've never done before um Enduro's changed a little bit now so it depends if uh if that grassroots or kind of mid-tier races still want to include that sort of style of Enduro racing that it was originally it'll also be interesting to see how the world champs shapes up and whether it turns into a um, single person event like you know all the other ones are and you get a world champion or whether it retains the trophy of nations style format where you know you're a team of three riders or whatever it is and as three riders you win you win the the equivalent of the world championships my best guess would be it would be an individual event mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have someone in the rainbow stripes, just like doing cross country and downhill. Yeah. But yeah, interesting to see. So these there, maybe a few changes to Enduro bikes just to make them a bit more specific to the the format that is Enduro going forwards. All right. Well, I'll, um, I think I'm in the middle of the uh, the five of us with my prediction. And uh, you've forgotten about start... Robin. No, T R S T. Oh my! I can't do alphabets. <laughs> ah, <nightmare>. God, <laughs> I've done an L. <laughs> yes, this is good. Thank you, you get Tom. one of the wall charts. I'll, I'll, I'll send you over one of the kids' wall charts with it on top. <laughs> yeah. You have a bit of practice before next time. In Comic Sans. It'd be handy for my writing. Before it? next year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, Rob, what's your prediction for 2023? So in a similar vein to Al, it's all based around electronics. So um, I think um, it's fair to say we've seen more and more electronics dripping into the world of suspension with the likes of um, what we already mentioned about data acquisition in downhill. Um, but then there's bikes that you and Luke have ridden already from um, Mondraker, which feature the mine technology. So um, that's essentially a data acquisition. Well, it's telemetry, isn't it, on that on that bike because it's um, mm. linked to GPS. So that gives you, you know, um, all sorts of information as you're riding through to an app. And according to the guys at Monraker, that's only going to get updated with the data becoming more specific and more beneficial for riders so they can make more use of it in terms of setup. So I think that's that's one side of things um, which we're going to likely see improvements on. Whether we'll see any other brands alongside Monraker launching something like that, I'm not totally sure but one of the more um safer bets i would say is that fox are going to be bringing out some kind of automated suspension control system so our friends over at pink bike have already done a story on it last year where um they spent a bit of time with fox suspension and um jesse melamed so the 2022 enduro world champ who was testing at the time so their system is currently 
it's under their racing application development program, so the RAD program. Um, and at the minute, it's a completely wireless system. It only works controlling the rear shock, so it changes the compression settings on the rear shock. It's got wireless sensors on that bolt to the brake mounts. So um, if you compare it to live valve, which is their current automatic suspension controlling system, what live valve uses, like a little like DO2, a central controller panel with a battery, which is bolted somewhere on the frame and then has wires that lead to the sensors. And um, it also controls the compression on the fork as well as the shock. So this is wireless, so no wires. The batteries are on each of the individual um, components. So you have a controller module on a shock, then you have sensor mounts, which are around the brake mounts on uh, the fork and the back end of the bike. Um, and unlike live valve, it also features a remote, which it was always one of my bugbears riding live valve was that if you did ever want to change anything on the fly, you had to stop and then press a little button on the control unit and just toggle through the modes until you found the one you wanted. Whereas this, you can just do on the fly, thanks to the remote, which will sit, I'm guessing, up by your um, dropper post. Um, I think, well, it's hard to say exactly when that will go live, but I, I think it's fair to say that Live Valve, in comparison to the RockShox flight attendant system, Live Valve kind of felt quite dated. So anytime you switch between bikes now that have those two systems on, you know, Live Valve works and it works really well, but the packaging especially feels kind of old school in comparison. You know, the flight attendant stuff is really neat. Um, it obviously controls your fork as well, which some people like, some people probably aren't too bothered about. So it's really interesting to see that Fox have just gone for the rear shock, which is arguably where more benefits, especially if you're racing, are going to be had. You're likely only, you know, I think if you compare it to something like the Canyon Strive or a Scott with a twin lock system, or maybe not Scott actually, because that does the fork as well, but the, the Strive only affects the back end of the bike, right? So it alters the geometry and it, and it um, limits the travel. So maybe Fox have gone down a similar route and said, okay, well, We'll just stick with altering what the, the compression and the shock does, make things as, as efficient as possible, and, and we'll limit to that. So it's really cool to see them step up and, um, you know, just like what SRAM did comparing and working around the issues found with DI2 to launch um, Access, it's similar to how they, you know, approached Flight Attendant and did their own thing away from um, what Fox did with Live Valve. So it's cool to see Fox coming back in and kind of countering flight attendant with this new system, whatever it may be called. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing, well, maybe we'll see that on, we'll certainly see it at more races, I would say, this year. Whether we'll see it actually get launched and, and be available to punters like us, I'm not totally sure. But it's, it's certainly on the cards, and it's cool to see more brands kind of getting on board with that. And then back to Rock Shocks. I don't know if you guys have had any um, Trek bikes on test recently um, with the, the sort of the higher end RockShox stuff on. Um, so one of the bikes I had had AirWiz on it. I don't know if you've seen that before, but um, via the app, um, via the SRAM access app, you can um, connect your fork and shock, the AirWiz units on there, and it basically just tells you um, your fork and shock pressure, which is kind of useful. Um, but you know, I guess it makes sure you're always, um, in the right ballpark at least, but it had me thinking whether there's, there's more to it than just that, because in an ideal world, you'd be able to extrapolate some kind of data as you would get with shock quiz. I mean, that sort of fell out of favor, it seemed, but if you remember shock quiz was developed by. I can't remember the brand. Quark. Where it was bought by them. Ah, uh, okay. They acquired it. So um, so that's, you know, part of SRAM acquired it. And then that gives you all sorts of setup information by, you know, basically screwing on a, a, a little sensor onto your air valve. 
So whether we're going to see some kind of crossover, whether they're going to be able to adapt that technology and be able to get more data out of it, I'm not too sure, but it feels like there's definitely the potential there. I mean, I'm not an engineer and I don't know much about all that sort of stuff. So maybe it's completely not possible at all, but it'd be really cool to see something like that and, you know, expand its use and functionality and give riders the ability to really hone in on that setup. Cause you know, we've all been there. We've all been at the trail centers and seen people riding around on, you know, 10,000 pound bikes where, you know, they're clearly having a great time, but they've also maybe not spent much time in terms of setup. So the suspension, you can see, you know, just from watching them ride down a bit of trail, it doesn't look balanced or it's bottoming out too much or it's barely moving, you know, any of those things. And if then, you know, if they've got those systems on the bike, maybe this will be the the surefire way that they can, without a doubt, get the most out of it. So maybe maybe that's going to happen. I don't know. But whatever whatever comes of it, we will see more electronics integrated into suspension um, but i think it's also really important to point out that even if your next bike has a fork and shock that doesn't have batteries attached and you can't sync it to an app it really doesn't matter it's still going to be probably the best fork or shock that you've ever had because the stuff now is so good i think i'd rather mine didn't sync to an app and have batteries on it i can't think of anything worse <laughs> where's external, the... external cables and not and tubes right yeah. <laughs> if it could that'd be good yeah. i was gonna ask where do you think there's a, a line or a balance between having all these electronics that help you set up um to get your suspension in the right ballpark and then ones that start measuring telemetry and you can go in and and see how much travel you've been using or what part of the ride and possible settings like is there is there a, a line where people just say, oh, no, I just want to ride my bike and I, I don't care about it? And yeah, how totally. much should this be forced on people? Like, Tom, for example, are you going to go want to know how much travel you used on this no. section of trail? I mean, we, we have been I'm, doing that with our, with our little O-rings, though, haven't we, for years? That's, that's the thing. All this stuff kind of already exists. <laughs> You've got an O-ring. <laughs> what else do you need? You've got an O-ring and a shock pump. And uh, you do or don't get punctures. But, you do or don't roll your tires off the rim. But I, crack on. I guess. I guess. In line with the rest of society and life, it's that instantaneous. This is a quick and easy way to potentially get around spending more time faffing around. You know, setting stuff it's up. The, it's the microwave meal of riding your bike. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Tom's hot take. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is is I I think you know, for the time being anyway, we're only going to generally see that sort of stuff on high end bikes. So you would hope that the brands have an option with it or without it, you know. And there's going to be a price difference between the two, and it is just down to personal preference. Some people love gadgets. Some people are obsessed with Strava. Some people are just, you know super into all the numbers and all the data that they can get. Some people just want to keep it simple. And I completely get that. But I think it's coming regardless, I'm afraid, Tom. Mm. That's all right. I'll, I'll accept electronic gears. That's that's my uh, that's my line beyond that. It's because there's no cables. Because <laughs> there's no cables to set up, exactly. <laughs> so I have to charge a battery every now and again. There it's you fine. go. On our, on our 12 kilometer bike ride, me and Tom did. There was still a lot of gear moaning going on because he wasn't oh, on his electronic gears. It was a uh... nightmare. Do, do you remember that time just recently, Tom, when you when you ran out of battery? <laughs> I do remember. I was in a foul mood. Yeah. All, all that I, I had a spare one in my pocket. Yeah. The time when we did the brake testing and your um, your seat post didn't work because the battery wasn't charged. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to retact everything I say, aren't I? <laughs> I'm going to ride a rigid single speed with a fixed post. There we go. <laughs> Oh dear! I guess really? it's, it's, it's your turn now, Tom. Uh, so my prediction for twenty twenty three is perhaps uh, a little bit more somber because um, I I sort of think that the the way the industry has sort of ended up post COVID uh, means that we're probably going to see a few you know shops, brands, distributors, bike companies um, close their door. Um, so the silver linings from COVID were obviously very few and far between. Uh, but obviously people 
had the freedom that bike schools granted. You know, they could get out, they could get some fresh air, they could get some exercise. Um, and so the industry had a, a bit of a boom. Um, bike sales, new and secondhand, like really went through the roof. Um, as obviously people noticed, because you couldn't buy a bike anywhere. You couldn't get spare parts, drivetrain, tires, all that sort of thing, because everyone was pretty much going mad for it. Um, you know, brands and shops were able to sell everything they had. They didn't need to discount at all. Um, and so naturally, they're going to order more and more inventory from their suppliers, whether that's like from the manufacturing side of things um, or from you know global HQs. Um, with the COVID infections and the sort of the restrictions raging across the world, especially like in China, with they you know they had that zero COVID policy, um, that conspired against you know the, the ability to actually manufacture all the bits and pieces that people were trying to order. So there's huge amount of pressure put on the um, on the bike supply chain, uh, and as such, many brands faced delays uh, and huge lead times on their orders. Um, these sort of pressures seem to sort of chill out a little bit in 2022. For example, like it became a lot easier in the last six months to get Shimano parts, for example. Um, but they're not entirely solved. Um, so hearing through the grapevine, for example, that e-bike motors are incredibly tricky to get hold of still. Um, obviously, like, you know, not to sort of pick on Shimano, but, you know, Shimano are building, you know, they're, they're making their own disc rotors, they're making their own rear mech sort of thing, but they're probably not making like the, you know, the coil packs for the, for the electronic motors. They're not using, you know, they're getting those in from other manufacturers. So their supply chain for e-bikes, for example, is much longer than it would be for a regular component. So this kind of all has uh, a bit of an impact. Um, brands and distributors who grew their order books to meet demand are now facing a slump in sales thanks to the global economic crisis that is sort of followed COVID. Um, you know, basically people are buying less than they were. Um, but those order books that they completed in busy times, they're still being fulfilled. Components that have been delivered to brands, you know, bikes are landing on shop floors now and those payments still need to be made. But the shops and the brands who have made those orders, you know, they're they're not selling them. Um, so this means there's likely in, in not every brand, but in a lot of brands to be a shortfalls in cash and liquidity. Um, and they're overstocked into a market that is a lot less buoyant than it was. So the result of that is that we're already seeing brands heavily discounting. Um, and there are rumors going around of other brands that certainly seem to have some difficulties on their balance sheets. Um, so, you know, there's... You know, if you take the bike motors, for example, as well, you know, there's companies who may have been developing new bikes, new product lines, which they're having to hugely push back because they can't get deliveries of those products, you know, and developing a new bike costs money and they're not seeing a return on that investment anytime soon. Um, it feels like 2023 that, you know, the the impact and the, those economic you know, difficulties are going to continue. Um, and I think we're going to see a number of manufacturers, distributors and shops probably go under this year. There's less money going around uh, and the bursting of the bubble is kind of a hard one to recover from. Um, I think like the biggest brands, you know, they're probably likely to survive. They've got huge buying and manufacturing power. They've got massive reputations. Uh, they've probably got a lot more capital and they're so sort of like inbuilt into the market that it, it feels like they're going to be insulated from them. And on the same but opposite way, like the smallest brands, they're probably going to be able to capitalize a bit more on their agility to be able to sort of survive, you know, going through the next few months. So long as they can survive that sort of liquidity issues, you know, they're, they're more likely to be able to get their components from non-traditional sources, um, maybe change the spec details on their bikes with like little notice. And obviously, if they're only buying 50 forks instead of 500 forks, it's a lot easier to do that, you know. Um, so it's probably going to be, I'd say, the, the mid-sized brands, whether that's you know uh, distributors or bike brands. You know they're stuck in more rigid supply chains. They can't make you know meaningful changes to to spec things, and they maybe don't have the same muscle to ensure that their presence in the, in the market is protected. Um, so I kind of feel like it's those brands who might have a slightly more tricky. 2023 and obviously we don't want any of them to go out of business but i suspect we might see a few significant departures this year it's it's a really um it's a really interesting topic um and i guess like what one of the things that maybe we all need to think about the brands included is um the context so at the end of 2019 you know if they were making x amount of money 
over the course of 2020, 2021 and 2022, they've like boomed, you know, 100% increase or whatever. And then in 2023, if they see a 50% reduction on that 100% increase, are they still going to be 50% up from their 2019, um, you know, revenue or however you're measuring the success of a bike brand? Um, and, you know, I kind of wonder if if maybe that'll happen. And, you know, as 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 kind of, I, I definitely agree with you, Tom. Um, you know, I'm just trying to maybe put a bit of a silver lining on on it here, you know, is actually as a net thing over the course of those years, comparing to pre pre COVID, however you want to call it, um, you know, will the increase still actually be there, you know, in total, even if it's just small or marginal? I guess it depends if, you know, all these new cyclists who came in, if they if they keep riding their bikes or whether it was just like a little, you know, it really was a bubble sort of thing. It's, it's happening everywhere. Like I was reading the news this morning and, you know, Amazon grew massively in um, in the pandemic and they they recruited lots and lots of people. And they've today, I think they've just fired 13,000 staff because they over overemployed because they grew and now, you know, everything's starting to shrink again. Um I don't know. It's it's not just the cycle industry is going to suffer from this, but industry worldwide. Yeah, and I, I guess the the other thing as well to to maybe think about, and here's here's my silver lining again because uh, I'm taking a bit of sunshine, Marvin's uh, rays off him. He's beaming them down the down the internet into my house. Um, kind of like um, cyclists and you know mountain bikers and whatever. It's like a passion sport. It's something that you know, would potentially be at the very bottom of the list of things that they would rather cut out of their lives. So, you know, it would be like going out for dinner would be at the top and, you know, okay, swap swap that for baked beans. And, you know, do I really need a brand new TV? I'd rather have a, a you know, a new bike or whatever. Um, and I wonder if like the passion-led element of cycling is going to help keep, um, you know, everything buoyant in that most people that are into cycling absolutely love it. And, and I know what you're going to say, you know, with the the newcomers, um, newcomers in inverted commas, I suppose, over the COVID period, you know, are, are they going to be fickle or are they going to be loyal to to the sport? I mean, you know, I personally hope so. I, I've certainly still addicted to mountain biking um, after how many years it is of, of you know, throwing myself down hills. Um, I'm kind of hopeful that, you know, maybe that massive number of people will actually stay and, you know, it'll, it'll all be rosy. I think that's one of the one of the tricky things as a consumer is to kind of balance the sort of the two sides of 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 the, of the conundrum. On one side, you've got you know we've seen distributors yeah, and shops doing massive discounts in order to get some cash into the business in order to stay afloat. Because if you don't have cash, even if you're making a loss, you still need cash to exist. And so, as a customer, do you you know, we're in a cost of living crisis, you know, people don't have as much money to spend as they maybe did. So obviously, people want to save money. So do you chase those bargains? Or do you sort of have the loyalty to the brands and maybe pay a bit extra in the hope that it keeps them in business down the line? I don't know, like, I was reading something about that the other day. It's like, do you do you look at it very much like I need to save as much money as I can, which is totally understandable? Or do you think, well, I'm going to buy from the people I used to buy for in order to help them stay in business so that down the line, there is still businesses around to exist i don't know it's a bit of a conundrum isn't it i know i know it, it is really hard there is that sort of like do you um squirrel everything away um and hope for the best but equally if you have a steady income and you continue to spend hopefully that would lead to a healthier economy mm. potentially i mean i don't know all the nuts and bolts around it but yeah uh it, yeah, it's really hard to predict exactly what people are going to do. And obviously, the more sort of um, more people hear about it, even through stuff like this, the more maybe uh, reluctant they're going to be to spend. But hopefully, mm. hopefully, it won't be as bad as predicted. And brands in the cycle industry and outside of it will be able to weather it better than expected and come out the other side. And, and similar to what Al said, maybe it will be that we would just return back to, you know, pre-COVID 2019 levels. Maybe um, the change in racing and the new, you know, um, ownership of the World Cups and, well, I guess the UCI still technically owned it, but um, Discovery and, um, and the team behind that that are going to be 
changing up how they present the World Cup and the media behind it, maybe that will have a positive knock-on. I hope mm. so. And and potentially bring it to a wider audience who can then get behind it. It might take a little while, but maybe it'll happen. And maybe, you know, it's going to be beamed into more houses than arguably than people have the Red Bull app on their TVs. I know everyone Fingers. has it on their laptops, but um, maybe we'll see an influx or, or just be able to maintain that level, like Al said, because they can watch it, you know, because it's that easy to see. It's on everyone's TVs. But, you know, when you consider the frequency of and the number of races we're going to have this year, maybe that'll boost it. Who knows? Um, I'm just going to cross my fingers and toes and hope for the best, I think. So, yeah. Cheery. That's my, <laughs> um, my cheerful prediction for 2023. Um, all right, let's hopefully, uh, hopefully Will's prediction is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more positive. Is that case, Will, or are you also uh, a bit dour today? Well, I wouldn't say it's more positive, but going from a big, broad stroke look at the industry and things that are really important, I'm zooming in on what is perhaps a little bit of frippery. So I'm talking about cable routing and specifically <laughs> headset cable routing. So we've already talked about cable routing a few times in this podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm bringing it up again and explaining why it's going to be a big 2023 trend. So... Internal cable routing has been around for many years, starting with bikes like the original Mondraker Summum, designed by Cesar Rojo. And uh, yeah, a bit of a segue there. Big shout out to, to Cesar from all of us at Bike Radar to, to, to get well soon because he had a massive crash at the, the Paris-Dakar. Big 60 mile an hour get off off his motorbike. So hopefully he heals up soon. Right, yeah, cable routing. So with modern bikes becoming more modular having everything hidden in a cohesive package from stealth droppers uh di2 cables uh and with more e-bikes as well we're seeing cable more cables being hidden deeper in frames and in tighter and tighter spaces now the positive from that is you get really clean looking bikes they're easy to wash they look great uh, and you're less likely to snag your clothing or skin on the exposed cable guides um, but there are a few negatives as well now, headset cable routing is where the, the hoses and cables actually go through inside the stem or inside the headset bearings to get them in through your frame. So you don't get any scuffing of the paint on the frame. But unfortunately, it means if you're custom building a bike or you want to change your headset bearings you're going to have to do a lot more work or your local bike shop's going to have to do a lot more work in order to actually build that bike. So riding in Wales or up in Scotland or in the winter in the UK, as, as we all do, those headset bearings are going to need replacing reasonably often. Now, previously with a traditional bike, you just changed the, the headset bearing. But now with all the uh, internal routing, specifically the headset cable routing, you're going to have to get that rear brake bled. So you're going to either have to do it yourself, buy an olive, buy a bleed kit, or take it to your local bike shop and invest some, some of your hard-earned cash in uh, what was previously quite a simple job. So for me, I think I like keeping things simple. Uh, and it sounds like Tom does too, mm. uh, with that external cable routing. So I fondly remember the days where you'd buy a new frame or a new brake and you simply cut some zip ties and change it around without any kind of faff. And then nowadays it's become a bit more involved. Uh, what do you guys think about this new trend? You could probably guess that I'm not a fan. Uh, I've got it on my long-term bike for this year. It's uh, Merida, the new Merida 140. Yeah. Um, and I have a set of brakes that are waiting to go onto that bike. Uh, I'm just waiting for the matchmaker clamp so I can run my shifter hanging off the uh, off the brake lever. Um, I've been promised by Merida that it is easy to do to route the rear brake hose. There's a big door on the bottom of the down tube um, to help get it through, and there is sort of internal routing that is meant to be pretty easy to use. So I am I'm going to give it a go, but I'm not super stoked. Uh, on the process. One of my favorite bikes is a, a Bird Aeris 9, uh, which has full external hose routing. 
and it's great. Oh, keeping <laughs> it really, old school. Really easy. And you know what? It's not as clean aesthetically. It doesn't look as good, but it's 10 times easier to work on. So I'm a, I'm a fan. So just oh, yeah. to jump in before Rob oh, there, sorry. Oh, sorry. Is your Merida sheathed, Tom? Like, do, Can you just slide the cable through and you've got internal passages to guide it where it's going? Or do you have to fish uh, around a bit? I'm nine, Well, there is a bit of fishing around to do um, because the hoses go through the middle of the main pivot um, because that means that there's less, you know, when the suspension goes through its travel, there's less pull on, on the hoses and stuff. So it should free things up, cause less wear, blah, 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 blah. Um, so there is a bit of fishing around to do, but I think the rest of it is it is sleeved in parts, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Fishing around in passages, eh, Tom? Fishing around passages. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a bike recently on test where not only did it um, go through the headset bearing, it passed through um, these... The matrix. Well, a wormhole. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> it passed through the headset spaces. Okay. Oh, yeah. So it's Scott. No. But uh, you, they do that. So you couldn't even just simply change stem height mm, if you wanted wow. to. You would have yeah. to completely you know start afresh which i don't know for whatever it doesn't seem great does it i mean no, no. <laughs> i mean i, I guess no. i guess we've got to say like you know it it does look cool and when the bike's in the showroom or you take delivery of your new bike it looks great and it is yeah, very clean but do the disadvantages outweigh the benefits I mean, it's, we've probably got it to be fair to the bike company and say what the benefits are, because there are benefits to it. Oh, totally. Go on, yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know about you, but some of the older bikes with internal routing, where it's just like a rubber bung pushed into the side of the down tube that after a bit of time works loose, and then there's no cable porting inside or no uh, nothing to quieten down any sort of cable slap unless it's perfectly taut. That was always pretty crap. So hopefully this will help rectify that. And I'm guessing the tubing should, in theory, be able to be made stronger and lighter because you don't have to compensate with extra holes. I think there's one of the other arguments is that there's less um, resistance to steering because the hoses, um, for some I don't know why it was the case, but like the hoses have a cleaner run into sort of the internal routing and there's less... Um, hose sort of like twist and, and jank as it goes around instead of going around the head tube it goes through it apparently don't tell Kanye um, that no well. oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm, i mean i'm struggling to come up with advantages obviously because i mean <laughs> i mean it, it looks good so I, I i tested the uh scott scale uh, uh rc cross-country bike recently and that had uh, the, um, I think it's the Fraser bar, not not the Hicks one. I can't the the lighter weight cross country one. I think it's the Fraser, mm. um, and the brake hoses were clamped to the handlebar underneath it, that uh, the rear one, not the front one, obviously. And it then rooted into the headset, and it looked super tidy. It had access access gears, so no um, no mm. gear cable, no dropper post either. Um, and that routed through the headset and it was super tidy and the headset was an angular just one and I managed to do it in the kitchen, um, not in a bike stand with a multi-tool. So, you know, turning the headset cups around through 180 degrees with the cables in there, um, you know, it was pretty easy. Um, some e-bikes that I've been riding um, have them routed through the headset and, you know, I've put in some pretty pretty chunky mileage on these over over winter months in scotland um just this was last year and then over the summer you know headset bearings haven't worn out um but then kind of flip side to that nuke proof with the latest iteration of their megawatt um have actually taken the headset cable routing away and now route it through the side of the frame on the latest version of their e-bike um and on my personal bike, uh, I have, just like Tom, zip-tied all of the cables <laughs> to the external tubing. So, I don't know, I think that probably speaks volumes about my personal preferences. Um, but, you know, there, there definitely are some advantages, and it does look pretty cool when a bike's tidy. It does look and, cool. You know. The one thing it does do, I saw some pictures recently of bikes with um, access gears and really tidy rear brake hose routing. 
you know, where it goes right next to the bar. And then you just notice how weird that a solitary brake hose at the front looks. Yeah. Kind of like has this like awkward like thing hanging out of it. It looks a bit odd. Almost like it needs oh, to go I, down the steer tube. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. ready for bar spins. Oh, Big yeah. Big in 2023. <laughs> I, I would wonder whether, you know, we talked about, um, you know, having to, if you want to change your hoses and all that sort of stuff or change the bearings, you have to cut your brake hose. I wonder if there's any brake levers out there that could uh, fit through the top uh, bearing. I reckon if you've got a big bearing at the top, you might get like a, one of the skinniest SRAM levers through because you can also take the clamp off and maybe you could just about get it through the hole. Yeah. And it's it, worth trying. Uh, the other thing to remember is it's it's not quite all doom and gloomy as everyone's making out to get through the bearing and the upper headset cup because um, it likes most brakes, you can get away with just doing a lever bleed as long as you're super mm. careful with taking the hose off. And, you know, you're not having to cut it. You're not having to put a new barb on. You can reuse all of those existing bits and bobs and just screw it back in uh, and then just do a, you know, a, a lever bleed, which isn't really a huge cleanup, doesn't take that long. Um, even, you know, kind of amateur mechanics, I guess, with a few tools and a bit of knowledge can can take it a bit on of youtube yeah a bit of youtube which all all the brands have um have you know their own well exception money uh sram certainly has their their youtube channel with dedicated instructions shimano actually has a very big resource of pdfs that explain you all how to do it but there, there aren't any videos on there at the moment um so you know they're not that hard i mean it's not that hard you know i bloody hate it but no i don't that's silly um <laughs> but you know it, it it does look cool it does look cool and you know um I'm sure one of the biggest things that we've we've all kind of talked about is bearings wearing out quicker. I mean, most headsets aren't really sealed that well anyway. I don't know if you guys have ever um, taken a pair of forks out just after you've washed a bike or done a dead muddy ride. The steer tube is pretty much always covered in brand new, fresh, gloopy, watery mud, especially if you've washed it upside down. So, you know, whatever is what I'd say to that. <laughs> A certain someone on the video team came up very, very short on a jump and has done way more damage on a headset than um, a, a little, you know, few holes in the top of it's going to ever cause. Yeah. Who yeah. <laughs> mm. remains nameless. Yes. <laughs> Index steering. <laughs> Just a, a quick question then. Who do you think is pushing for this change? Is it component manufacturers releasing products that are saying, well, we're going to build them like this now? Or is it the bike brand saying, oh, well, we want to have this kind of technology because it will sell more bikes and it looks neater please can you change things or i i reckon i'm going to point some fingers i reckon it's the product managers of the bike brands who want their bikes to look clean mm. and nice and then they're, they're telling the engineers to do this and then the product companies are responding and um, they're road inspired project managers they go now we need to make our mountain bikes look as integrated as the neat road bikes do quite possibly yeah uh who who uh there was an article on bike radar yesterday the website that we all work for um that i'm quickly trying to scrabble around oh van der Poel's new canyon infinite uh, mm. has fully integrated cables so there's a, it's a cyclocross cyclocross bike and he's got it on his shoulder and he's lugging it up a hill and there are absolutely no visible cables so everything goes from the hoods through the handlebars slash is electronic is he is he lifting it up to try and keep it dry yeah, I think so. Yeah, try and keep it clean. Stop the bearings getting dirty. Well, um, yeah. I, I was going to say it's probably linked into what you were saying earlier, where you were saying there's manufacturers getting rid of cable ports to yeah. make way for more wireless uh, droppers and shifting. So yeah. if you have headset cable routing, you can always delete those electric cables or like shifter cables later, and then you haven't got holes in the frame to plug. You just you know rebuild the headset and you're good to go. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a very good point. So yeah, maybe maybe the manufacturers are, are doing the cable cable port delete interim solution via headset, and then when all drivetrain manufacturers are kind of singing from the same hymn sheet, bada bim, bada boom, we're all wireless and we're all electronic. You might need to go Imagine and re-record having... bit now, Al. Yeah, I was going to go re-record <laughs> that bit. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> Imagine not having any cable any cable ports to delete because you just have external cable routing. They don't have to delete anything. Uh -huh. Perfect. Um, it probably ties into some of the products we are going to see this year, though. We uh, It's not been officially released, but there are patents out there for new brake levers from Stram and Shimano, which have the hoses um, exiting the lever much closer and much more parallel to the bars than usual, because usually they come out at an angle to point away in order to give a, a cleaner loop from brake lever to hose entry port. 
So um, I think it is. I, I think uh, the chickens in this situation are the component manufacturers, and the eggs uh, are the bike brands and probably the uh, head of products. Didn't Magura release something like that last year or the year before? I forget. Oh, it was like a few yeah. years ago. Mm. It's a few mm. years ago. Was yeah, it? Yeah, fully inside the bar. Mm. It was. Pretty, I mean, it looked pretty cool. Dangerholm had it on one of his bikes, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it did look pretty smart. But yeah, dedicated bar, wasn't it? Dedicated bar and stem you needed. Mm. All part of it. Yeah, yeah. Time to bring it back. Well, yeah. They've got their new electronic dropper coming. They have. Can we say that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it came out already. Today? Yeah, that's public. They've talked about it. Have they? Yeah. Or have I just uh, got myself fired? See press release. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Are you sure? We'll, we'll, we'll Google after we've recorded this. And if uh, <laughs> if this is still in the podcast, then it is coming out. And if it's not in the podcast, it's because we've cut it out. Rob's got the embargo fear. <laughs> I have. Genuinely. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Okay, well, I think uh, that'll wrap up our 2023 trends and predictions from Bike Radar. So um, thank you, everyone, uh, for getting involved. Thank you for putting your thoughts uh, through the microphone into the podcast. Um, if <laughs> anyone listening has got any thoughts or predictions of their own, why not drop us an email? It's podcast at com. Uh, so drop us your thoughts on there. And if you've got any tech questions for our tech Q&As, please pop them through. We are going to be running a mountain bike suspension tech Q&A in the coming weeks. Um, but in the weeks after that, we'll be looking at road-specific topics uh, and more mountain bike-specific topics too. So any questions, pop them through. Okay, so I think I'll just say thank you, everyone. Uh, thanks, Will. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Luke. And thanks, Rob. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Tom. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, Tom. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 